Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of The Lewis and Kyle Show. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jay Azeltine. Jay is a men's fitness and life coach who's recently taken on an additional body of work. Jay leads groups of men to the jungles of Costa Rica to do ayahuasca retreats. Pretty interesting stuff. In this conversation, we discuss why he does that, how we got into that, what the benefits are for the groups that he takes, who he takes with him and why he takes those people with him, why he's personally done 21 ayahuasca ceremonies. We discuss his recipe for bone broth, why he's so into triathlons. We discuss his journey to self-employment, his relationship with caffeine, his relationship with bodybuilding and with knee injuries. We discuss men's mental health in general. We also discuss the value of having a life coach. As always, if you've listened to The Lewis and Kyle Show before, you'll know that in addition, we cover much more. This was a really fun conversation. Jay is a very interesting person, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. So without anything more from me, I'm going to switch over to this conversation with Jay Asseltine right now. Enjoy. Jay, I'm really excited to be chatting today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I'm pumped for this. There's a million directions we could go. So I think I'm just going to start with a million directions at once. We'll see and I am curious if you're like a coffee drinker, if you are someone who's just now on like a, a no stimulants life, I can't really tell because you're super into optimization and you do endurance sports. So I'm curious like where caffeine fits into like your daily rhythm, if at all. It's a great question. I know question, you're not an man. Adderall guy. I know like you, you're not into, into Adderall at all. You're like very anti-Adderall. So I'm kind of curious sure. your perception of stimulants. Sure. And I've taken Adderall before in college. You know what I mean? Like it can be great in the moment, but obviously not sustainable and really really bad for our bodies and for our nervous system. But with coffee, it depends on when you ask me. You know what I mean? So if you asked me a year ago, it might have been like, well, I haven't had any in a month or month and a half. Currently, pretty consistently every day. And a lot of it is for my training. You know, So I train two to three times a day, every single day for Ironman. And so when I get up at 5 a.m., it's like, all right, I got an hour and a half bike workout or I got an hour swim and then a weight training session. And it helps ease into the training. It helps me get my mind out and helps me get my body primed up for training sessions. And so how I do it is I don't like to do caffeine right away in the morning. So I wake up, I'll do breath work for 15 minutes to start the day. And then sometimes a 10 or 15 minute meditation. And then I'll drink my bone broth. So I'm huge on bone broth. You've probably seen that on Twitter. We're going to get uh, into that. Cool. Homemade bone broth, man. I drink that. That's like the first thing that goes in my body is the every bone day. broth every day. Yeah. Every day with Celtic sea salt, get the sodium, go and get the electrolytes in my body to get some, you know, some hydration in my body. And then I'll do some water. And then while I'm doing that, I'm foam rolling. So I'm getting my body primed up through foam rolling, doing a little bit of mobility. And then it's about an hour into my morning is when I'll do caffeine. And for me, hammering caffeine, which I would say right now, I'm hammering caffeine is like 60 to 80 milligrams of caffeine per day. Okay. So you're really not. I mean, that's, that's like one strong cup of coffee. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like sensitive to it, right? I'm sensitive to stimulants. I'm naturally very introverted and with introverts, it's a nervous system thing. And so I have a very sensitive nervous system, right? So any kind of stimulus music, I don't like going to concerts. I don't like, you know, a lot of input because it's, it, it's all very overwhelming for me because of how sensitive I can be. And so for me, 60 milligrams of caffeine would be like some people taking in 200 milligrams, you know, I'm like on edge. And so there's positives and negatives for me with caffeine, you know? So even like on this podcast right now, I feel a little bit more tense because of the caffeine, right? I can feel it in my body, just like a little bit more tense than if I hadn't had any caffeine today, I'd be a little bit more soft. I'd be a little bit more, I wouldn't say present, but just like more calm. And so there's positives and negatives to it. And for me, again, being an introvert, it definitely affects me negatively on on certain levels, but it's also like very positive for other things. And so it's kind of this back and forth. So right now I'm in a flow of regular caffeine. But regularly moderated, it sounds like. What do you consider some of the trade-offs to like ultra endurance training? So you say, I know you just, you know, completed your first Ironman, I believe in November. And now you're like really into it and doing it frequently. Like one, what's your, your goal with that? I guess near term, like, are you trying to become like ultra competitive? Cause I mean, a lot of people, their personal is just to finish it. And then also what do you consider the trade-offs in terms of like, I love endurance training. It's just super time consuming. In my opinion, I, I've never been able to do that and, you know, make consistent strength things at the same time at the gym, just kind of like a either or. And then also like with what you're doing with your, it just eats a lot of the day. So I'm curious, like what makes it worth it for you? Great question, man. So why am I doing so it? It's clearly already very fit and disciplined. It's like, what's, what, what's the sure. reward? And I'll, and I'll share a little bit about, you know, cause I've been training every day in the gym 
for 13 years now. I'm 29 now. I started at 16. So I'll talk a little bit about like some of the trade-offs and, and the difference between training in the past and training now. And so my number one goal right now is to become world champion. I want to be the best in the world. And so with that, obviously there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And so I don't put the pressure on myself because really ultimately my goal is to become the best version of myself. But I believe that the best version of myself can be the best in the world in the next five to six years. I truly believe that because of how discipline I am, because of how much mental work I do, how much spiritual work I do, because of my strength background and training, which I'll get into in a second. So simply my goal is to be the absolute best. Winning is fun. I fucking love winning. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this podcast. Cool. Sure. And so, man, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I am obsessed with triathlon. I love it. I love the pain that it takes you into, man. I love now, when I was 138 miles into the 140.6 mile race, when my body was completely broken, I could hardly lift my legs up. I had nothing left. I love being in that space because then you get to decide how are you going to respond? Are you going to go harder? Or are you just going to slow down and let the pain, you know, consume you, right? And the mind's telling you to stop and your spirit pulls you forward and you go harder and you go harder. Like, dude, I can't wait to be back in that space, you know? And so I love the pain. I love how deep it takes you. And on a daily basis, it's hard, man. So that, that goes into the, some of the, the negatives of it, potentially negatives is the, the time consumption, right? So you can finish a full Ironman by training eight to 10 hours a week, right? If your goal is simply to finish, it doesn't have to become all that consuming, which eight to 10 hours is still a lot for someone that isn't used to training. I'm used to training every single day. I've been doing that for 13 years. And in the past, you know, going to, to my goal before was pro strongman, pro bodybuilder, pro powerlifter. Up until 2019, that was my whole life was, was training to become a professional in those three sports. I had an incredible mentor, Zach Hummel, one of the best in the world. I was living in Indianapolis, training out of his gym. And my whole life was eating, breathing, training to become pro in those three sports and then coaching people within health and fitness too. So all very aligned. And so I was on my way to that goal, man. I was like 12 months out from deadlifting 700 pounds from like a 650, 700 pound squat within 18 months. And then my knee exploded. What was your body weight looking like? At that time, I was like 195, 200 pounds. Right now I'm like 170. So I'm naturally a smaller guy. So for me to get up to 195, 200 pounds was, was a lot. A lot of eating. A lot of eating, a lot of years of training. And so that goal was derailed. I snapped my knee in half in a freak accident in the mountains of Idaho. My knee snapped in half. My kneecap ended up on the side of my leg. I jammed it back in instinctively and just like shredded the whole thing to, to pieces. And so that changed my, my training focus. And once I started to rehab and get back to kind of a baseline, that was when I found triathlon and went all in on that. But the time consumption to stay on track here, the time consumption is one of the hardest pieces of it. I train right now 12 hours a week, but next year my goal is to get up to 30 hours a week of training, right? That's 30 hours a week of training volume, running, biking, swimming, weight training, that doesn't include mobility. I spend almost an hour per day stretching and foam rolling and we'll have to likely increase that to an hour and a half, two hours when I start training that much. That doesn't include transportation to the gyms, right? So that's a full-time job, but I love it. Like I love being in, in the training sessions. Like that's my favorite time of the day is being in that flow state of training. Do you train in silence? Do you entertain yourself? Do you have a group, some combination of all? Yeah, so I'm a part of a team here in Austin, Texas called NVDM Coaching. It's one of the top rated Ironman teams in the entire world run by Natasha Vandermeer. She was one of the best women triathletes in the world and is now retired, semi-retired and is focused fully on, on coaching. We have like 600 athletes on our team globally, like probably almost 200 here in Austin. And so we have team workouts regularly throughout the week, right? So I'm training with professional athletes on a daily basis. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have team swims. So you're in the pool with like, you know, 20, 25 people, you know, you're in a lane with four or five other people. It's chaos. There's waves going in the pool. You know, like you got to You got to go because there's somebody on your tail or somebody in front of you. And, and so you have no option but to go. So in the pool, of course, like there is no input aside from the, the sound of the water. And it's, like, it's such a trip, man. All you can see is water. And then you see the side of the room it's when you breathe water side of the room. Right. And it's just like very flow state when it comes to biking. I don't know if you can see over here. I got my bike. Um, I do most of my bike workouts indoors. So I have an indoor trainer. You take the back wheel off. It becomes your back wheel. It connects to the, the computer through a software and it's like a virtual reality. And it translates very well to outdoor riding. But on my bike, I do headphones and I'm listening to David Goggins for the most part. Like I'm just jamming dude to David Goggins, screaming in my ear, getting fired up. I'm in an apartment six in the morning. I'm yelling, who's going to carry the boats? Like, let's fucking go. Like I'm just getting fired up. My, the people above me, below me are probably like, what the hell's going on? This guy's nuts. And so I'm either jamming to that or I'm jamming to 50 cent, some old school hip hop, just like getting fired up. So a lot of input during my bike workouts. But then when it comes to running, I do it totally silent. I don't listen to anything. 
I like to just be in nature and just be fully present. And it's almost like a meditation. What's your perception of, of Austin in that sense? A lot of people online would kind of characterize it where like nine out of 10 people are like that, right? They're like David Goggins, ultra fan. Cause that's what you see on Twitter a lot. At least what I see on Twitter, like the people in Austin all have like a very similar set of interests and hobbies and people that they're into. Is that, but you're saying kind of like your, your neighbors, what's your perception of like, is it actually just like every person you meet is like, has this kind of overlapping interest in like the Joe Rogan type world, or it's just like the people on Austin, who, in Austin, who use Twitter, then also for the most part, it's, it's sure. a regular city. It's a larger percentage of people than most cities, I would say, right? Like I'm from the Midwest, like I'm from Ohio, you know, from a small town in Ohio and like no one's fit, no one's doing this type of stuff hardly, you know what I mean? And then even Columbus, it's right outside of Columbus, Ohio, which is the capital. And still not even close to Austin. I'd say Austin's probably one of the fittest cities in the entire world. But even then, it's like you're still talking a small percentage of the actual population, right? It's a very young population here in Austin. So even people that aren't really training are still like, they, they still look healthy and fit because they're in their 20s and 30s. You know, like our apartment complex, like the average age has got to be like 25, 26, you know, and then there's thousands of people in this complex. And so most people aren't training though. You know, like most people are partying, like it's a very party city too, you know, Sixth Street, lots of bars. Sure. And, and so it's kind of a balance. But if you go out on the trail, there's a really cool 14 mile trail that wraps around the city. It's like a perfect dirt path. Like I forget the specific type of uh, rock they have, but it's very ideal for running. It's good for, for your knees. And man, it's full on weekends, especially you go out there, man, there's so many people. And so, yeah, it's higher than most places, but still relative, right? Like most people still aren't doing those type of things. That makes sense. That's, uh, let's talk briefly about bone broth. So I've been super into the idea of bone broth for a long time, but I never took the, I love how much you lit up when I said bone broth, <laughs> but I've never taken the steps to like, I've come so close to like seeing it through, right? I'd like finish a steak, put, get a Ziploc bag, put the bone in the freezer and then like do that for a couple steaks. Then I don't know. I just never made it past that. Uh, so first of all, like what motivated you to become obsessed and, and how does someone easily incorporate like homemade bone broth into their actual life instead of just, I love the stuff at the store, but it's not a sustainable habit financially. It's not, and it's not nearly as high quality and it doesn't taste nearly as good either. So I'll start with how can you make it? I have a free, 100% free bone broth guide ebook that I use as kind of like an intro into my ecosystem. And so um, you can find that on my website, jazeltine.com. And it's literally got everything you need step-by-step, -step, how to make it, resources on where to buy the bones, um, which can be really difficult to find. And, and that's another note too, before I talk about how I started on it, is you want to make sure you're sourcing your bones from really high quality grass-fed animals because if you're getting low quality bones from low quality animals, they store a lot of those toxins in the bones, right? We store a lot of those toxins in the bones, in the marrow. And so if you're if you're eating, you're drinking bone broth from, from cows that weren't raised properly, that weren't on a fully grass-fed diet, you're actually potentially getting negative side effects from that bone broth. And so I get all mine from, from grass-fed animals, grass-finished animals, mostly bison, elk, um, beef as well. So all that can be found in the, uh, in the ebook. For me, it started when I blew my knee out, actually. So it was, it was March of 2020, what a wild time going into to COVID. I'd just done ayahuasca for the first time, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into twice prior to that. So my whole life was just like totally changing. I was still like dead set on these training goals, and I snapped my knee in half really bad. I lost all the cartilage. And so I, my body needed to totally regrow all the cartilage underneath my kneecap. And so one of my friends at the time had recommended bone broth because it really helps with, with, you know, with cartilage and, and with bone and, and with tendons and with skin and, and all of this stuff. And I was also dealing with some back acne at the time. You know, I periodically, especially when I was a teenager, dealt with a lot of acne and, and back acne too. And so I was going through another phase at that time, three years ago, and my back had broken out. And he was like, dude, you should get on bone broth. It's going to help with your knee recovery. It's going to help with your skin health. It's like, all right, cool. And I started with, with just the store-bought stuff, but eventually transitioned to making it myself. But I've literally drank bone broth almost every single day for three years now. And it's completely transformed my health. It's transformed the way my skin looks and feels. Uh, it's transformed my gut health. It's made my joints so much healthier, my hair so much thicker. Like I didn't have a, a full beard like this before either, you know? And, and so it all started through, through blowing my knee out though. So what does it take to, to make it? It's super simple, man. So you want to use knuckle bones specifically, right? There's different types of bones that people use, but if you really want a dense, dense batch, a lot of the collagen is found in the knuckle bones where those knuckles are moving. That's where the most collagen is going to be in, in the, mm -hmm. in the knees and the shoulders. And so you want to use knuckle bones specifically, at least majority knuckle bones. And then all you need is an instant pot. 
Uh, I use an Instant Pot. You can use a crock pot. It's much easier to use an Instant Pot from, from, uh, from Amazon. You throw the bones in, you throw water in. I use real high quality reverse osmosis water, which is a whole separate story. But you put the water in, you close the top, and you cook it for 24 hours, and then it's done. And you just strain. So you take a strainer in a pot, you strain the bones out, the liquid goes into the pot, you've got this really nice golden water. So the, basically what happens is throughout that 24-hour slow cook, right, that, that heat is slowly pulling all the nutrients, all the protein, all the vitamins and minerals out of the bone and into the water. Because you started with just pure water and bones, and now you have this, this, this golden, beautiful bone broth because all those nutrients, all that protein is pulled into that water. You strip the bones out, you just keep the liquid, you pour it into a glass container, you put it in the fridge. And what's great is you get, especially if you have a fattier type of bone, you're going to have a big, thick layer of beef tallow at the top. You refrigerate it for you know 12 hours, it hardens. The bone brush should turn into like a gelatinous type, like jello, if it's, if it's real dense in collagen. And then at the top is a white layer of, of beef tallow, which is full of fat, full of nutrients. I cook my eggs in it. We cook everything in that beef tallow. It has a really high um, smoke point. So you can, you can cook it without it, you know, breaking down and, and turning toxic. And so it's very versatile. What's the benefit of that over just like the store, like the collagen, you just get in a scoop, you scoop it into your coffee. Like that's what I do pretty frequently. And I know it's probably not as good, but I just get like the Anthony's brands. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on where it's sourced, right? Like there's great collagen supplements out there. And that can be more convenient for sure than, than making a whole bone broth, but then you're not getting the beef tallow, right? You're probably not getting all the nutrients for the, the full spectrum of nutrients that you would get from from the from the actual bone broth, but it can be a, a nice you know shortcut potentially for sure. I also just love the process of making the bone broth. It's like very ceremonial. It's very primal. You got the bones, and then you make it, and it's like this this weekly process. And really, it's like 15 minutes of total work, right? Like the cooking is the longest part, which takes 24 hours, but you don't have to do anything. You know, it's like 15 15 minutes of total prep work. It gets it's so easy to actually do. And then that beef tallow, again, you can cook everything that you make with that, which is, you know, it's, it's incredible for your health as well. And there's tons of benefits to the beef tallow as well. Let's now talk a little bit about the ceremonies that you do, like more formally. Uh, one thing I thought that was interesting is that you actually, and maybe this is a bit more of a, in a couple of minutes questions, but you still participate in all of them. Like I said that you've, and I've heard you say that, I think it was on Shane Larson's podcast, you did like 20, you've done 20 ceremonies. Does that mean you like you've led 20 ceremonies or, or participated as well in taking the medicine like every yeah. single time? Yeah. So I don't, I don't lead the actual ceremonies themselves. Right. So we have I would shaman's like a very overused term these days. Right. And that's a, like a very specific term for it's a specific country. It's like Iceland or something, these shamans back in the day. So like shamans become this super saturated overused term. And it almost has like this righteous, like egoness to it that like, I'm a shaman, you know? And so the people we work with, they don't consider themselves shamans, but from layman's terms, they would be a shaman, right? And so the guy that leads the ceremony, he's done over a thousand ceremonies. You know, he, he's been in this for 20 plus years. He, he's an expert. He's a professional, right? He's seen it all. And so that's what you want when you're going into a ceremony like this. Someone that, that's seen it all, that is very experienced and knows what they're doing because these things are really powerful. You know, psychedelics, plant medicine are incredibly powerful. And so I wouldn't disrespect the medicine that way by leading a ceremony myself. And so Thankfully, I have these incredible teachers and, and medicine carriers and space holders that do that for me. So I create the container of the retreat, right? So I bring the people, I create the overarching container because it's so much more than just the rich, than the ceremony, right? The retreat's this multi-month process, you know? So I, I host ayahuasca retreats to kind of, to, to preface all of this and it starts six weeks in advance. So we do six weeks of prep work leading into it as a group. You know, there's eight to 10 guys Throughout that six-week prep process, the intention is, of course, to prepare your mind, body, spirit to be fully ready for this experience when you get to the jungle, but also to build the bond of the group. You know, it's like a bunch of new faces. It's a bunch of guys like with the guards up, you know, and, and it's a vulnerable experience. So it's important to build that trust and camaraderie of the group throughout that six-week prep before they arrive to the jungle. So like that's a huge component of it. And throughout the week, you know, that's just two nights of the whole seven-day experience. And so there's so much more to it than just the, the medicine. And so that's where I come in of leading this experience, creating the container creating the conversations. And then of course we show up to the, to the temple and do those two nights of ayahuasca and have some of the best, you know, medicine carrier space holders in the world that, that do that. But to answer your question in a long-winded way, yes, I sit in ceremony and do all the medicine every single retreat. Um, I've done 21, I believe it's 21. I like to count. I think it's 21 total ayahuasca ceremonies over the last three and a half years, you know, and it's different though. Like I'm not leading the ceremony, but I am holding space. Like I'm, I'm there to help hold space for the guys. And so 
you know, I am going through my own journey, but it's a little bit different than when you're there to, to participate as a guest, you know, like I, I'm there with the Theoretically mindset. looking up to you, right? I mean, not looking up to you, yeah. but like looking at you as sure the, a chaperone. And, and, and I still go through like, my own full-blown experience, you know, like sometimes more than others. Sometimes it's like a super light night where I'm just like sitting there holding space, just watching out for the guys. Some nights it's like full force where I'm like, I'm glad those people are here to support because I am not supporting anyone tonight. I'm I'm in it myself too, you know, and so it kind of depends. And so I do go through my own journeys, but it's a little bit different than than participating. Plus now having done 21, like the experience changes, you know, and and I've gone through so much of my own work and released so much and healed so much, not to say there's still not a lot there. It's a lot different than than those early ceremonies. What was it for you that, you know, took you from someone who just, you know, went on an experience with another trip, someone like yourself who hosts people and takes them through this experience and said, okay, I'm actually going to like become one of these people, not just someone who like came and was transformed and my life is better in, in all of these ways. And it's like, okay, I'm actually, it's like the person who goes to the, you know, the CrossFit gyms, like I'm become the CrossFit instructor or whatever activity, right? Yeah. It's like the person who loves it so much that they have to like stop whatever else was their thing in life and now become the person who, who does the thing. Totally. Yeah. So for me, I knew pretty early on at 16 years old. So the year was 2010. I somehow stumbled upon the Joe Rogan podcast. Like this was before people really even knew what podcasts were. I was lucky enough to find Joe Rogan podcast in 2010. And totally transformed my life. That same year, I met my first mentor as well in Ohio. And so I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. It was either 2010, 2011. It was Joe Rogan, Aubrey Marcus. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing. Just a small town kid from Ohio in the cornfields, you know, a super straight edge in high school, like wasn't experimenting with with anything, not even cannabis in, in high school, didn't drink. And I was listening to this podcast with Aubrey and Joe. And Aubrey was talking about his recent trip to Peru and doing ayahuasca. And like, all of a sudden, man, I just had like this totally spiritual moment for the first time in my whole life where I get goosebumps just talking about it. But like, it felt like I got like struck by lightning in this moment where I had this, this deep knowing and truth within me that ayahuasca was going to play this huge role in my life one day, which didn't make any sense. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense at all. But okay, like, I guess, you know, I trust. And so like, I put it in my back pocket and then move forward and didn't really think much of it and kept doing personal development for years and was on this path of self growth and my whole journey started with a lot of trauma as a kid. And that led me down a really depressed path as, as a, you know, younger kid and into my early, you know, twenties. Um, so there was a lot of inspiration there. And, and so all the stars aligned in 2019, uh, I made more money than I ever had. I was in this entrepreneur group, um, was really developing my network, was doing higher ticket health and fitness coaching at that time. Um, and, and was doing a lot more work on myself, was, was doing a lot more spiritual work and just starting to go deeper. And then in September 2019, this girl that I was dating that I thought was the love of my life at the time, which she wasn't looking back and I'm so glad this happened, she she broke up with me and it was just like totally heartbreaking, man. Like it was the first time I'd ever really had my heart broken and it just like shattered me to pieces. And I had great mentors in my life at that time. And I remember they were just like, man, you just got to trust through this. It's it's happening for you, not not to you. And I'm just like, okay, like I trust, I'm working through this and stay strong. And then literally like a month later, I see a post on Facebook from a friend that I hadn't seen in years that had mentioned, I've been working with ayahuasca for the last few years. It's totally transformed my life. I'm heading down to Costa Rica for another retreat um, in four weeks. We have one more spot available. Is anyone interested in joining us? And I, I read it and I knew right away, like, boom, like right in my heart. This is it. Nine years later, like all the stars have aligned. This is this is my time. And so I spent a week sitting on it with tons of fear. Like my, I was, I grew up most of my life terrified of everything, dude, like incredibly anxious, terrified of people, terrified of everything. It was just like fear, fear, fear. So I spent a week thinking about going to the jungle and it was just so scary. Like the idea of going and drinking ayahuasca and going to the jungle and just like getting way out of my comfort zone was terrifying. I pull the trigger, I make the decision, I go to the jungle, have the most transforming life in my week, or week of my life, dude, just like so healing, just found so much peace in my heart, felt unconditional love for the first time on that level, went home, just on a completely new wavelength, feeling so much lighter. All the people around me in my life were just like, man, you feel different. I was like, I, I feel different too. You know, I have a whole new energy to me. I went back again in February of 2020, um, another transforming week in the jungle. March of 2020, I blow my knee out, which is a whole spiritual journey in itself. And then go back to the jungle again at the end of 2020 in December, which is after COVID, you know, lockdown started to open up, travel bans were over. I was healthy enough to travel, go down, have another great experience, and then felt the call at that point too be the bridge for other men. That was the point I was like, 
And it never with me consciously logically like, I want to host ayahuasca retreats. You know, it was just like a very natural process. And I always trust like my guides. I always just trust my intuition, my heart. And I just feel like there's a larger plan in place a lot of the time. And so that download came to me and I was like, okay, awesome. I would love to be able to do this and be able to be this bridge for other people because I knew there were so many other men like me that were interested in this work, but had no idea where to start. And there's so many frauds out in the space. There's so many people that are serving these medicines that aren't qualified, don't have good intentions. Even if they do have good intentions, they're not qualified. Good intentions aren't enough. And so to be able to be a reliable resource, to be a, a solid bridge, to bring people to this space of, of medicine carriers that I trust, that I've worked with, that I know that are at the highest level. And so I, I hosted my first retreat February of 2021. And it was awesome. I knew right away. I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like this is this is where I'm meant to be. You know, I just felt so at home and to see the transformation that it created in their life. I was like, oh, we're onto something. Hosted. I took some time off of it because I was working on another business at the time. Stepped away from that at the end of 2021. Decided to go pretty much all in on the retreats. Hosted the second retreat in December of 2021. Yeah, December 2021. And then hosted the next, the third one, February 2022, June of 2022, December of 2020. Um, yeah, December 2022, and then February of this year, March of this year. So now I've hosted seven of them. We're moving on to the eighth retreat coming up in June. And I just, I, I've now brought 70 men through this process and seen just so many lives transformed and seen so many different backgrounds and, and people with different problems be able to find relief and healing through this. And now I'm like, oh, this is the real deal. Like we're, we're doing some, some really special work here and the world needs this. And so it's just like been this snowball effect um, to the point where it is now. So such a great story. Thanks, where are you finding, I know you have like a large social following. Is that your entire sourcing plus probably referrals and word of mouth for like going it's forward? It's been all social media for the most part up until this point. A couple of referrals. Um, referrals is tough because it's like people got to really be ready for an experience like this. You know what I mean? It's not like a coaching program where you're like, hey, you should join my boy Jay's coaching program. You know, it's like, hey, you can tell your friends about this ayahuasca retreat, but like it takes time for people to be really ready for an experience like this. And mm -hmm. and, and so referrals is a lower percentage, I'd say. I mean, the people that come through my retreat rave about it and they tell everyone about it. But again, like it takes a couple of years usually for someone when they first hear about something like this to be ready to make that leap. And so social media, it's a long consideration phase. It is. It is. It's a. It's a. It's a long build-up process. And Nine sales years process. for you, or whatever it was, right? Yeah, it's so. a long sales process. And so Twitter now, like that's where my my main hub is for for marketing and for all my businesses, my coaching businesses. And now I'm starting. You know, in 2021, I, I built up this community here in Austin. We started with doing free workouts every single week at the park. So on Thursday, or I think it was initially on Fridays, we'd meet up every day or every Friday at Zilker Park, do a free workout men's group. We'd do breath work go to the Barton Springs, do sharing circles, just an opportunity for these guys to come meet other like-minded men and, and get in the community and do some hard stuff together. So we got to the point where 25, 30 guys a week were showing up to that. And then I just got busy with travels and stepped away from the business that I was building at the time that I was doing these park workouts with and just needed some space. So I stopped doing it for a year and a half and just like three weeks ago, just started building it up again. And so park workouts. Getting, yeah, exactly. And ultimately like the park workouts are just one component of this, of building this community because we're going to, my vision is to do ice baths once a month and have other meetups, you know, like different components of the actual men's group and, and tribe. And so as I build this back up, you know, because I'm pouring into these guys every week for free, like I don't ask anything of them. And it's it, it's an opportunity for me to pour into these guys and give them so much value. And so naturally they ask about my services, you know, and I'm talking about ayahuasca and there's like multiple guys in the group that have come to retreat. So like they're hearing about their experiences. And so over the next six to 12 months, you know, this thing will be built up to where there's 30, 40, 50 guys showing up to these on a weekly basis that will fill all my retreats where I won't have to really rely on social media as much anymore, which will be nice. You know, like I'll continue to build my social media, but to be able to have those hands-on touch points, have relationships built up with guys and then have those guys come to the retreats will be even more ideal. Yeah. So that, that's going to become as time goes on this year and next year will be, I would say my main resource for, for filling retreats is the group I'm building here in Austin. What are you looking at in terms of, I don't think vetting is the perfect word, but just seeing if someone's ready and would be a good fit for your group. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a vetting process, man. I, I tell people on the first call that I have with them that this is an interview process. You know, I, I share all the information. So I have a really thorough website with a really in-depth video that just explains my story, who I am, what these retreats are all about. And I make sure everyone goes through that and watches the video before they can apply for a call. 
once they apply for a call, it has a questionnaire on it. And then it also has the price on there as well. So I like to make sure people are 100% clear on what's going on before they schedule a call so they don't waste my time and I don't waste their time. So by the time they get on a call, it's like they know exactly what this thing is all about. They know how much this thing's going to cost and everything in between. So beginning of the call, I tell them straight up, hey, this is an interview process. This is a very sacred experience. This is a very vulnerable experience that at me is the is the kind of you know, leader of this, one of my jobs is to make sure that it's the only the right people that are there because one person that's not a right fit, a good fit could throw off the whole thing for everyone, you know? And so it's a really important role for me to play. And it's also a privilege to come to these. Like I, I have so much respect for the space of where we do these and the valley that we work, work in, in the, in the jungle of Costa Rica and the medicine carriers there. And so I hold it really near and dear to my heart to make sure that I don't bring anyone that's not a good fit or just brings, you know, bad energy to it. And so it's a very selective process, but how, how I know if someone's a good fit or not, it's usually pretty clear on the first five minutes of the call. It's just an energy thing. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. for the most part, it's like, I trust my intuition and heart and, and I can just tell if someone's a good fit pretty quickly. And then of course, as time goes on throughout the call, you know, digging into questions, learning more about them, I'll be able to learn more, but I always prioritize that over anything. Like I'd rather have a retreat that's 70% full versus 100% full. I'd rather have a retreat that's 70% full with all the right people than 100% full with 30% of people that aren't necessarily a good fit. And I've proven that in the past. I've turned people down before and, and lost money, you know, taking hits on profit because because I, I didn't have a full group because I would rather turn those people down, you know? And so I, I'm, I'm really big on that. And I know that um, it'll continue to pay off long-term in many more ways than just financially, just living with that integrity. But I, I really mm-hmm. value that um, and have no problem telling, telling someone that, hey, this isn't a good fit for you. You know, there's many other ways to go work with the medicine. This is only one singular way. And so, you know, the medicine could still be for you. I'm not a gatekeeper to the medicine, but to this specific path, I feel that I am. That makes a lot of sense. What are like good stories and or like motivations, like someone like comes to you and says like, this is where I am in life. Like what's like an example of like a good archetype for you? Yeah, man, there's so many different types of men that come to these retreats. That's what's so cool is, you know, in any given retreat, you might have one guy that's 55 years old, that's worth multiple millions of dollars. That's, you know, one of the top doctors in the world. I've got many doctors that have come through therapists, different professions, sitting beside a kid that's 23 years old that just graduated from college that's spending his last dime to come on this retreat, you know? And so there's quite a spectrum of, of men that come to these. Some guys come to these with, with serious trauma where they're like, you know, last resort, like, man, I need this. Like, I'm in so much pain. You know, I went through XYZ as a kid. I got, you know, I got physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused, whatever that might be. And it's like some deep, deep stuff, you know, and they really, really are in need of, of some, some serious healing and to find a, another outlet because, you know, Western medicine has just fallen short for them. And so that's certainly one, one group of people that are like, deep in trauma, deep in pain, depression, anxiety, whatever that might be. Then there's other guys that come to these that are like, man, I've never really experienced any trauma in my life. You know, I'm pretty happy. I've got a successful business, but I'm just looking for more. You know, I'm looking to, to find an edge with my, with my creativity. I'm looking to kind of get out of, get out of my box, you know, and, and, and just like hit that next step in my growth. You know, I feel like there's just so much more for me to achieve. And, you know, I've been learning about ayahuasca for a couple of years and I'm just super interested in it and just feel like it could really help elevate me to that next level of my, my journey, you know, and so you don't necessarily have to come to these things with tons of trauma and, and pain to be able to work through. It, it can be for so many different types of, of men. Um, but man, I, I've seen it just transform so many guys. You know, I've had veterans come through with, with serious PTSD that were able to find such relief through these experiences, you know, and I've seen guys come through that hate their jobs that are just like looking to to gain some clarity on the next steps in their life. You know, how do I get out of this job? How do I create a new path that are able to find that in this retreat? You know, the retreat provides a container of uh, being able to disconnect from your everyday life. You know, so you unplug from your everyday life for seven days. When you're in your life, you're living in the momentum of it. It's hard to gain a new perspective and outside of the box perspective. And you're just going with the flow. And so like to be able to hard cut that, to leave the country or to leave your space completely, to go to a new space, and then to add in ayahuasca and to add in the healing components of the nature and to add in the, the, you know, intentional conversations that we have in the workshops, so much clarity comes through that, you know, so much clarity comes through that. So much confidence comes from the work that we do and doing the hard things. It's the ultimate resistance week. You're facing your deepest resistance, your deepest shadows. You're doing the hardest work, the confidence that comes through that, the personal power. And then you go home with this new clarity, with this new confidence, with this new personal power, with your cup fully filled up. You know, you took a week for yourself just to recharge. You don't have to do anything business-wise. You don't have to take care of your family. Like it was a week just for you. 
to recharge, to fill your cup up, you come back home on fire, ready to go. You know, it's like, there's so many different benefits and angles with this retreat of, of value for people and benefits that they can find. It's like really, um, it's a wide spectrum. What do you do to keep up with people who have been on your retreats? I mean, the people who like went in 2021, like what's, what have you done to check in and, you know, the, the cop, not from a business perspective, like the continuity funnel, but the, just again, genuine care about these people and their results and their long-term success. Like, sure. You have like a formal, you know, monthly check-in or something. Yeah. Yeah. I do my best, man, to try to, to keep up with these people. It can be difficult though. You know, we're up to 70 plus people that have come through these and I, of course, have other coaching programs that I do as well. I'm working with health and fitness clients. And, you know, I, I like to build long-term relationships with every single guy that comes through my group though. And they know that they have my number for life and they can always reach out to me anytime they ever need anything. I make that super clear. But what I do is post-retreat, included in the retreat at the current at the current model. And I want to expand this and charge more so I can add more time. But basically it's six weeks of prep, seven-day retreat, and then two weeks of integration. And then I offer an optional 12-week group after the two week post integration, pretty low ticket to be able to expand that container to keep the group environment going to keep those checkpoints going. Um, and so that's a big part of it. But ultimately, again, like, you know, I'll, I'll shoot people texts here and there, but it, it's hard to keep up with that many people. I'd love to be able to spend all my time with, with all of these people um, forever. But I think it's it's realistic, you know, and so um, yeah, it's like guys from 2021, I'll hear from, you know, a couple times a year, and they have my number, of course, like they know, I'm always here to support them if they ever need anything specifically. But yeah, you know, that's certainly something as I've hosted more retreats is like I've learned through each retreat how to do a better and better job of helping these guys post retreat and create systems for them to stay in this container and to keep this, this frequency going, but it's not perfect. You know, it's certainly not perfect. And I'm only one guy, you know, in a long term, I want to build a nonprofit um, that brings in other people and have therapists involved and just like uh, more of a team, most likely. Um, So it's like further reach. But yeah, like I said, with my training, with, with all the other, with other things going on with family, it gets tough to, to keep up with, with so many people. Definitely. I want to ask you about investing in life coaching in general. I know you said that you've spent probably over a hundred thousand dollars over the year and there's a a life coach I'm considering working with. So I'm really curious to hear your experiences with like formal paid life coaching. Man, I've had great experiences, you know, obviously not all coaches are created equal, but I'm a firm believer in. If it feels right, if your heart tells you to do it, no matter what the price tag is, like if it, if it makes sense in your heart, pull the trigger and, and go for it. You know, I, I started investing in myself heavily. I met my first mentor at 16. He introduced me to personal development books and just like growth mind, mindset in general and, and was able to, to grow a lot through that. But in 2019 was when I really started to invest in myself and coaches. I joined an entrepreneur um, group called Wake Up Wealthy in 2019, which was very transformative in my journey. I met so many other young entrepreneurs through that group. And then I really started to invest in myself, I'd say in like 2021, 2022, I made a $30,000 investment into a, a coaching program, which was the by far the biggest I'd ever made. And, you know, have since then continued to make those type of investments. And a lot of them are into my friends, you know, like I love to pay my my friends, like some of my best friends are also some of my biggest mentors, you know, and able to pay those guys lots of money and to be able to to gain more and more wisdom from them and have them intentionally coach me hands on. And for me, it's made me um, so much more money over the last few years. It's made me so much more wise, so much more happy, so much more healthy. Um, right now I'm working with a coach that's more on like the spiritual side and like the deeper work side. And man, it's it, it's been so worth the the investment. Like right now I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm the healthiest I've ever been. My My peace of mind is just like incredible. My stress levels are lower than ever, uh, anxiety levels lower than ever. And it's a result of, of hiring these coaches. You know, I think part of it is, is the time spent with the coaches and mentors and the, the value that you get from them there and the wisdom. But another part of it is just like when you invest in yourself, like it takes your own focus to a new level. You know, you take things more serious when you just invested 10, 15, 20, 30 grand into yourself. You're like, oh, should I better take this little or take life a little bit more serious because I just put some serious money on the line, you know, so it kind of raises your focus there, too. So it's like, there's different layers of value that you get from making these investments. And the way that I look at investments specifically is, is not in the short term of like, let's say it's a $10,000 investment. Well, how can I get $10,000 of value out of this over the next 90 days? Like my mind works in, in longer periods of time. It's like, well, can I get, can I get $10,000 of value out of this over the next five years, over the next 10 years? And the answer is always yes. You know what I mean? It's like, there, there's so many ways to pull value from, from these different, again, there's a lot of different investments out there. Some of them suck and aren't worth it, but like, 
a good investment. Like there's so many ways to pull value out of that over the next five to 10 years. So for me, it's, it's, it's always a, a no brainer if it makes sense in my heart, even if it doesn't make sense on paper. <laughs> no, I like that. And now I was talking to this guy, uh, just yesterday, this is very top of mind for me. And I'm like, oh, let me think about it. I got to think of like the reasons that should I do this, should I do this? He's like, he's like, well, you know, just like even this with me talking through the decision with him, he's just pointing out like so many subtle things that I like agreed with, like his like, oh, great call out, great call out, great call out. And I'm like the, if I'm in it, there's just so many situations that could come up or like if I enter that situation without having that like call out, I would have, you know, handled it worse or conversely would have handled it better. And there's right. just over the horizon of the rest of my life, it's like, it's so easy to tell a story. Of, yeah. Especially when you're running a business as well. It's like, because then there's a, a very immediate consequence to like, having a mindset that leads to making more money or having a mindset that leads to making less money or any other uh, outcome you want to be coached through, right? Like if totally. there's an opportunity to capitalize and build a great relationship, but you, you, you handle it poorly, you handle it better because of something you learned from this. It's just a really profound set of potential different outcomes. Exactly. That's how I look at things too. And like you're paying for all of the time and money that that person has spent up until this point, you're paying for their network as well. Like, cause they're going to introduce you to different people. Right. So you're paying for point. not only the relationship yeah. with them, but you're paying for the relationship with all the people that they know. Cause like for me, when people invest into me, I love connecting them with other people that I know, you know, within the, the immersed retreat tribe or other groups that I'm, that I'm, that I'm building, you know, like there's just so many, so many layers of value that you can get. But again, there's also a lot of scams out there. There's a lot of shitty coaches, there's a lot of shitty programs. So don't just go haphazardly yeah. spending money. But if you really do your due diligence on someone and it feels super right in your heart and your gut, which is how I always operate, it's always from like a, a place of, of intuition and my gut feeling that, that gut instinct, then fuck it. We'll send it. You can always make more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I like the point as well of like paying your friends because I, I just did that as well with a, another coach, more like a really specific, like I just released a software product. And, uh, so a friend of mine like has a coaching program community for people that launch like micro SaaS. And I've been sending him all sorts of texts for weeks about this is my idea, blah, 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 blah. Like he's been helpful. And I was like, you know what? He, he, I forget that he has an active offer out for this. Like he has an offer yep. where it is just jobs, like have a committee where help you with this. And then I like went on that and just bought it. And now I'm like, I'm like now I have permission to bug you all the time. And like <laughs> at the same level of like when you're actually a student, but it just makes it less like, like I just, it took any of the ambiguity out of like asking for his help and like and feeling it, like I'm. Good, good for you, man. That preserves the friendship too. Cause it's like, you can there's clear boundaries of like, now we're in friendship mode. Now we're in, in work mode too, which can be tough to balance. It's gotta be the right relationship. But you know, a lot of people, they expect their friends to give them discounts or give them freebies. You know, my friends and I, we all pay each other all full price, you know? And, and I think that's really important. And, and I've tweeted that a couple of times before real friends pay their friends full price. You know, they don't, they don't expect discounts. They don't ask for discounts. You know, they, they support their friends. And for me, that's always been incredibly important. You know, I've paid two of my best friends, both over $30,000 in, in coaching. And, uh, can't wait to continue to pay them more and they pay me too you know they come on retreats they come and do different things and so it goes back and forth yeah that's been very i mean he's it's just been made that way less again taking all the ambiguity out of it has been extremely helpful and then and then the last point on that too is like if you're a coach if you're selling services when you invest in yourself it's that much easier to ask other people for money you know what i mean it's like when i ask somebody oh, for yeah. a 10 fifteen thousand dollar investment in the back of my mind i'm like i feel a lot more confidence confident asking for this and, and, and pitching them on this and pushing them a little bit if I know they're a good fit. And they said they're a good fit too, because I've invested this over and over and over into myself. I'm very hesitant to like make content recommendations now because on the flip side, right, I almost never consume anyone's content recommendations anymore. Right. So like yeah. the exact same principle at play here with what I'm about to say. But there was a video that uh, Kyle, who's the co-host of this podcast, sent me. And I don't know, he, he sends me a lot of stuff and I, I don't watch a lot of it because just he sends me too much volume. And, but this, it was just this like guy who was just spitting like wisdom for 30 minutes straight. I was like, I was mind blown by how much this guy was just, it was just resonating with where I was in life at the time. And I said at the time, it was like three or four weeks ago. And it was just, if you want to get good at selling, you have to get good at buying. Or mm. basically it's like, cause in your, it's your, a lot of everything is just energy. Like you said, it's like the first thing I look for is just the energy in the first five minutes. And my energy is like asking someone for $10,000 for, for a product. It's like, I just spent $10,000 on this random thing the other day. It's like, that just communicates versus being like kind of that, that nervous, kind of shy body language ask it like, oh, it's, it's $10,000. And it's like, but so now it's like, I just paid this guy 
you know, a thousand dollars for this coaching thing. And I'm like, all right, now I'm going to turn around and like find ways to generate a thousand dollars in this. And just, it's just the like, yeah. realizing the the flow of money. Just, there's yeah. just so much changing hands all the time everywhere. It's just energy exchange, right? Money is just energy and it's this constant energy exchange. You know, like we, have, all of us have, I've certainly been doing a lot of work on that myself for years now and, and the last few months more than ever, just like we all have so much trauma around money, you know, because of society and, and, and what society teaches us. I've, I've called it like, you know, the scarcity beliefs around money, but yeah, that's definitely the, the, the frame of it is trauma around money. I talk about yeah, that. Same thing. Yeah, totally, man. And, and for a lot of people, it's like, you know, cause and this gets into like law of attraction and just like a whole other conversation, but ultimately, you know, it's like a subconscious thing, you know, it's like, how do you view money subconsciously? Like a lot of people are real tight, you know, and, and myself too, like it's something I'm continually working through. And so as much consciously, like as you tell yourself, like, I love money, I want to make more money, money freely moves to me, you can do all these affirmations. But if subconsciously, you don't feel that way, then like, there's a contradiction, right? I don't know if you are into mm -hmm. like any Joe Dispenza stuff. Absolutely incredible. But like, then there's a contradiction, right? From the mind and the heart and the subconscious. And, and if there's a, if there's a, you know, if there's a contradiction there, then it's not gonna flow freely, you know? And so it's like, really doing that deeper work on yourself and healing that and, and really getting to a place of, of abundance at a subconscious level in your heart and in your mind, then things can really start to, to flow freely and, and everything's just energy, right? Like life is just energy. And so things just start moving in, in, in mysterious ways and you start attracting things, which again is a whole nother side tangent we could go down, but I don't know how much you want to explore that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it's just practicing the, the beliefs that you want to embody is, I mean, that's not, it's not just that, but that's a big piece of it. And with money, that's, it, it's exactly. feeling it, right? It's like, it's, it's the, it, you gotta, you gotta pair the, the vision and like the thoughts of, of the abundance with like the feeling of abundance too, right? Like that is law of attraction is, and that's what prayer is too. Like prayer is mm -hmm. combining the vision with the feeling as if it's already happened, you know? And, and the more you do that, the more you can stay in that state, the more your external reality starts to just mimic that. Mm -hmm. And that's funny you say all this because that is kind of the specialty of this coach and what draws me to him is he's someone who is just stu student of Joe Dispenza informally, right? Just like literally just read the books, maybe bought a couple of the, the tape, but never like went too deep in terms of like getting a formal training, like a self-taught student, if you will. Uh, I mean, read the books, but didn't like go have a trainer with him directly and just sort like just story after story of Miraculous, just like him executing so well and leading to like all sorts of outcomes and seeing him as someone who's energy aligned is like what has drawn me to working with him. Because uh, this yeah. is what I was telling him on the phone a few days ago or, or yesterday was through the podcast, you know, I've done 150 of these episodes, probably actually quite closer to 200 if you consider like some ancillary projects we've done related to it. And one of the recurring themes is just like, I'm a person, I'm a high performer, but not compared to, I thought I was a high performer, but then I truly became even more of a high performer after like investing all this energy in coaching. So it's come up a lot of times for me to be like, pull up Google, life coach, ask the guests to whatever, but it's never like made sense because I've never like met anyone who I'm like, or encountered a website or like watched a video where I'm like, okay, like I am intellectually attracted to the idea of life coaching, but nothing appeals to me of like the first page of Google of life coaches or like any of yeah. the other options that have kind of come before me. But this guy was the first guy where I'm like, okay, actually like, I would love to have a structured way of learning from him. And so it's like after like three years of getting reminded of this principle semi-frequently, He's the first one that I've actually like put the effort in of even taking a discovery call with. Cause there's just, mm -hmm. I mean, one, I'm building a narrative to like tell a good story, but, and also there's like a back to like marketing fundamentals. There's a consideration stage where it's like the first time I've been hit with the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So maybe he's just lucky number seven anyway, but it's like, that could also be at play, but sure. still is significant that he's the first person I've like considered. Okay. I would actually, even to take the call was like the, because there's, I actually it comes back to, I don't know if this is something we were saying or if I'm losing threads from other conversations, but you have to just want to, you don't want to pay someone to work with them if you don't want to be like them, right? Like if you don't consider them a role model, then you don't want to hire them as a coach, but I consider him a role model. So to totally right. It's super important. They got to be in the place that, that you want to be. Like my fiance, Leah, she's pursuing her deadlift goals right now. She wants to deadlift 315. So just as an example, you know, she, she, people at the gym, especially guys will give her advice. And I'm like, well, how much did they deadlift? She's like, well, really, not that much. I'm like, well, then don't fucking take and advice from them. And what's the ratio as well, right? <laughs> yeah, don't take advice from them on, on deadlift. If they're walking around at 250 and they're pulling 315, I wouldn't be. Yeah. Yep. Simple as that. 
you hosted an event, I believe, or at least participated uh, in the Do Hard Things conference. Was that something you put on? And also, why didn't you wear shoes? Good question. So my boy, Zach Hummel, it's actually his event. Um, I'm kind of like a partner in it, I would say, but him and um, Petey, it's, it's their event we host out in Colorado Springs. And I'm basically a keynote speaker every single year. So last year was my first opportunity to be a keynote speaker. Uh, I got to speak in front of about 75 people, which was absolutely awesome. Uh, my number one fear in life has always been public speaking, which I know resonates for a lot of people. And so last year was a huge year of pursuing fear. I couldn't swim at the beginning of the year. That's why I did an Ironman, swam two and a half miles in the ocean. And within 90 days, I got to get on stage and speak in front of 75 people and deliver a 30-minute keynote speech all about fear. Um, and so the Do Hard Things Conference is, is an annual event now. Um, this year is going to be second annual event. Again, in Colorado Springs, it's a two-day event. We do ice baths. We do some mountain hiking, a lot of networking and relationship building with the community and the tribe that Zach and I have been building for years now online and bringing that to real life. There's four keynote speakers, myself, Zach Hummel, um, Petey, and then uh, Zach's fiance, Ashley, or wife, Ashley. And then in addition to that, we have breakout speakers. So like we'll have speakers on, on different health and fitness stuff. We'll have um, crypto stuff, real estate, you know, depending on, on who's there in, in the year, it'll change year to year. Uh, to answer your other question about shoes, uh, I'm all about barefoot, man. You got to be barefoot as much as you can be. Shoes are a scam and uh, sho <laughs> shoes really are though, man. I, I, I obviously wear shoes when I run and I wear shoes when I'm out in public. I also have these sandals that are called earth runners, which are kind of like Jesus sandals. And the well, those a shark tank product or no, they might've been, they, they may have been, they're really thin. So like they're very, very thin sole earth runners, earth runners. Yeah. And, and, and so they're really thin. So it's like almost barefoot being on the ground there, there's no cushion. And then it allows your toes to really spread out. Right. So a lot of shoes, they cramp up your toes. So a lot of people's toes are like this, right? They're, they're completely smashed yeah. together. Whereas naturally our toes are supposed to be like this. Right. And so you're a toe spacer maximalist. I used to be, but honestly, my toes are so wide now that I don't even really have to wear toe spacers that much. And so the, was it helpful in the journey though? Or was it, or was it just an unnecessary intermediate step? It's funny you asked that dude, cause I literally put them on yesterday for the first time in like a year and a half. So I actually just started adding back in. Don't really need them that much cause my toes are pretty wide, but they do help, especially if your toes are already cramped. But most people's feet are so weak and are such a liability because they always are wearing shoes. They're never they're never barefoot. Sure. So like a good starting point is just to be barefoot as much as you can be outside. And then I do a lot of intentional exercise to strengthen my feet. Barefoot Will on Twitter and Instagram. Good friend of mine is the expert in this space. He'd be an awesome guest sometime too, but he's got a great Twitter. He provides a ton of value on how to strengthen your feet. And when you strengthen your feet, you strengthen everything else in your body, right? A lot of our lower mm -hmm. back problems, hip problems, knee problems can come from having weak feet. And so you build the base everything else will strengthen. If you're, if, if your feet are weak, dude, everything else is going to be at risk. So it was just kind of a statement. It was kind of a statement to get on stage with, with barefoot advice, basically to answer your question. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I saw you doing the, I don't know the name of it. I mean, it's just a squat, but you're doing a squat with your, with your feet, with your legs together. Yeah. And on leaning on your toes. I don't know the name of that, but Yes, I don't know. It's, it's basically just a squat. And we can do a knees over toe squat with your heels on the ground if you have crazy Achilles, which I do. I have a crazy Achilles mobility. So I could do a knees over toe squat with my heels on the ground, but that's on. That's legit. I've never, I've never tried that. Part of the, I've done a lot of Achilles stretches, but yeah. I, I followed a stretching program that put a lot of emphasis on the Achilles. So I, I have like the, a lot of residual mobility I got, from that. I've got leg day after this. I'm going to try it with my heels on the ground. Ultimately for me, it's like, how far can I drive my knees for? Because it's going to put more pressure and load in the knees and then I'm going to be able to strengthen them more. But like I said earlier, I blew my knee out really, really bad three years ago in a vicious way. And so I spend almost all my time in the gym these days on my leg days, especially doing rehab work. So it's a lot of knees over toes work like that. It's a lot of backwards sled walking. Knees over toes yep. guy on social media is obviously blown up a lot over the last year or two. Has so much great content. For good reason. Stuff yeah, it's works. it's the real deal, man. So I do a lot of that within my leg day training these days. Like my leg days look yeah, very the different. The weighted than they used A to Gs to. are crazy. Yeah, 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 man. There's so many great movements. I start each workout with 10, 15 minutes of backwards sled walks, and it's a huge difference maker. My knees feel stronger than ever. It's getting back to the point where it's going to be stronger soon than it was before I blew it out, uh, which the surgeon said wasn't possible. So I think we we probably have our own opinions about the. Uh, the level that Western medicine fully understands or capable. Totally. It's probably a given, given uh, your primary business at present. So 
he was a good surgeon. He did a great job, but they do have a very limited scope and they, they work with a lot of normal people that aren't willing to do the, the extra work. And so it makes sense why he would have thought that, you know, cause most people would have been fucked for life if they had the knee injury that I did. Oh yeah. It's just so cool. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing research for this and seeing how long you've, you know, been putting out content on different things. I saw like one on your YouTube and just kept scrolling and scrolling. And I was like, oh, oh man, I got the first video, bro. Quick story on that, actually, like how I started into all of this. It's funny. It was 20, it was 2015. My mentor at the time had a huge Twitter following. He was a co-founder of this company called Muscle Farm and had built it's a huge, huge Twitter. It's huge. They've, they, they're separate ownership now and it's, it's transitioned a lot. They had the green branding, right? Or at least yeah, green, green and black. They used to be in the middle of the UFC yeah. ring. Like, it was a big deal. And so I got laid off from that company. Our whole department got laid off in 2015. It was a whole shit show thing. And so I got laid off and went into real estate as a realtor for a short period of time, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I just dropped out of college six months prior, not knowing that I was going to get laid off. So I'm like, what do I do with my life? You know, I'm not enjoying real estate at the time at all. I'm basically just like smoking weed and just hanging out at my parents' house still. I'm like 23 at the time or whatever I was, 22, 23 years old. And so I'm reading this book called um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is my favorite book of all time. I've read it almost 20 times now. It's a short, quick read. And this is probably the second or third time I was reading at the time in 2015. And um, the excerpt that really hit me, it said, uh, if you were the last person on earth, would you still do it? And I applied that to real estate at the time. And I was like, well, obviously, if you're the last person on earth, you're not going to do real estate. But the larger point being is that your true passion. And yeah, there it is. And I knew quickly at that moment that real estate wasn't for me long term. And so I'm, I remember where I was, what I was like, where I was at in my parents' house. Like, it's all so vivid. And this light bulb goes off that I'm not meant to do real estate. And so I sit there, I'm like, well, what, I am, what am I meant to do? Like, what would I do if I was the last person on earth? And it was, I would be hitting weights, I'd be training my body still, I'd be reading books, I'd be developing my mind, body, spirit, essentially, which I had been doing for many years at that point. And so I'm like, well, what's stopping me from making that my entire life and career? Uh, and then I realized, well, my mentor is doing that. He's been doing that for years, building up his social media. It was right in front of my eyes, like, build your social media. And I was like, well, what's stopping me from building my social media? And it was my fear of being on camera. I was incredibly anxious still at that time, very fearful, especially of being on camera. And so I was like, well, what's the first step I can take towards, uh, you know, starting to build this? I dropped everything in that moment. I drive to Best Buy. I get a tripod. My mom had an iPad. I come home and I, I shoot the first ever video and it's on my YouTube. It's so fucking cheesy, dude. It's so embarrassing. And I have this big whiteboard and I'm out by my parents' pond and I'm just rambling for like 12 minutes about just like random shit. I'm sure it's not that bad relative, but that was the first ever video and it's still on my YouTube. I've, I've never really been that active on YouTube and, and there's a bunch of old videos and old content on there. It's super outdated, but that's funny you mentioned that though because the first ever video and that was the catalyst to posting on Instagram every single day for years on in after that. And I started to gain traction pretty quickly. And then within a few months, I launched my online fitness coaching business in 20, end of 2015, going in 2016 and haven't looked back since. I've been self-employed ever since then. And it all started with that moment of reading the war of art, going to get the tripod, shooting that first video, and then just continually just like moving forward. Just taking action. Yeah. No, that's some of the best stories just come out. I mean, many of the best stories just come out of just an aggressive now habit. It's like, you know, the motivation is, is here right now and I don't know if it's going to come back again. So let's just freaking run with it. Yeah, go for it. Why not? You only live once, I think. Exactly. Maybe. Kind of my, my first product like that, the software product I was telling you about, that's kind of like my first proper, let's just send it launch. Like I, I don't want to, again, the story was too recent to, to do this poor of a job of getting the details right. But I was driving to Las Vegas from Arizona like three or four weeks ago and four weeks ago. And I was talking to a buddy about AI the whole drive. And I was like, oh, the AI, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I've just been using it for all these things in my life. And this is one thing I've been figured out yet, but like, I feel like it should exist. So when I get home, like he wasn't driving. So I was like, can you tell me if this exists? He's like, I'm not finding anything great for this. I was like, okay, it's, I was like, I know all the pieces are in place for like someone to just like plug this together, just uh, generating timestamps for YouTube automatically given mm -hmm. with your podcast, because it's like, we have automated transcription that's existed for a long time. And we have, uh, the language models do summarization really, really well. So I'm like, those are the only two ingredients you need to make automated timestamps. So I was like, someone has to have done this by now because whatever. I'm like, why am I still, well, the conversation was, how do I speed up the editing cadence for the team that I work with? How do I take fewer tasks off their plate or tasks off their plate 
so they can produce more episodes for me while I'm paying them the same. Because if there's right. manual pieces of the process that I could be automating for them, then they will be able to produce more for me with the same amount of money I'm paying them. And so that was like the motivation for like tackling all of these things off their plea. I'm like, what is in my post-production workflow that should be automated? And then I found this idea. Well, I'm like, this is still something that they do and it's still time consuming. And I don't particularly get a crazy amount of value from it. I'd rather automate it or just have them not do it. And so then, anyway, I got home and I don't know if it was like the first thing I did, but like I immediately started like doing my own research, finding it didn't exist, found like a YouTube video, some guy like who like wrote some code that sort of did it. So like cloned the GitHub repo, made a little prototype. And then I was like, guys, we're going to watch this. So like my, my team. And so we put that up like, Probably within two weeks of having the idea, we like had a, a fully functional software MVP just online. Wow. And now we have like, uh, to, like all sorts of stuff. Like obviously like made a lot of poor decisions in terms of like someone on my team wanted to pricing that I disagreed with. And I was like, whatever, we just need to get it to market. Like whatever, let's just go, let's just make this happen. And like, cause now once we have users on, we have to like build enough momentum that like we can't quit. So it's like, I don't even care if I just disagree with your decision about this. Like I just didn't nitpick any of the decisions. Oh, or I tried not to. He, you know, maybe they, they feel like I did, but I did like way less than I like normally would, if that makes sense. And then even like that, that's where the, the one coach came in, the software coach. I was like, I, I was like, I didn't enter. His, I was like, I want his help. And like, he wasn't replying that quickly. And I'm like, all right, pay him for his help so that he does reply quickly. And just like, this bulldozed action. And it's just exactly. So some of the best outcomes are just, just bulldozed awesome, in the action. And so now it's out more of the story. 200 signups, couple, almost. Five page, five page signups already. Great, and I think man. that should convert much higher once we change the, the business model to what I think would work better. Super valuable. A lot of the best things just are just like attack. I love it. Uh, what, tell me about spill the vision so that we can listen to this mm. in a couple of years. Uh, the, the yeah. vision for the ideal Costa Rica future for, for Jay. Oh man. The, uh, Costa Rica vision. I've had this for years now and. I wanted to, and why is it the vision as well? Right. Sure. Yeah. I feel like for me, it's, it's been bigger than me, but ultimately I want to build a, a fully sustainable regenerative farm in the jungle of Costa Rica, right? I'd love to have like a hundred, 150 acres, 200 acres where I have all my own cattle. We source all of our own food, like completely sustainable. You know, I, I I've got tons of dogs on the property. I've got a state of the art gym, a pool recovery center, saunas, cold plunges. Right. I got my house that, so like, let's say it's a hundred acres. I've got my own 10 acres. And then I've got a couple of my best buds that have their own space on the farm. And then we have a localized like community area where I can host retreats and host family and friends where, you know, it holds 30, 40 people. So we can always have people coming through the space. And we constantly just have the coolest people on earth filtering through this awesome farm in the jungle, man. And like, you know, if the world goes to shit one day and nuclear war starts, we're in Central America in the jungle and. No one's going to attack Central America. You know, the nukes aren't going to hit Central America. So it's like, there's so many potential benefits of that space. Plus, if you've never been to Costa Rica, it's just like a different level of life. The, the, the life there in the jungle, like you're just surrounded by life, man. It's like above you, below you and the earth. It's just so fertile. The water's so pure. The air is so pure. The oceans are right there. The jungles, the mountains, it's the best. Like it's truly the best. And so. You know, I, I wanted that process to be expedited, but I'm finding more and more patience as I get older. Obviously, I live in Austin, Texas right now and travel to Costa Rica a lot and want to move there right away. But just like, no, I'm meant to be in Austin for a bit longer. And so just like being patient with that process. I'm 29, got plenty of time and just continuing to build towards that. But ultimately, and I'm not, I used to be really romantic with things, but like I'm releasing we're releasing that romantic side and just like being more open to the way things go and just like being more open to open paths. Cause I think when you get too, too stuck to one thing, you miss out on other opportunities. And so like, if that ultimately isn't supposed to be the path, I'm okay with that, but I want it to be the path. And I think that it is going to be the path and, and then living out our life, dude, on this farm where like we can travel obviously around the world, travel to, to the States, but having this farm where I get to go out each day, I'm financially free. All my businesses are, are, are crushing. I go and, and do motivational speaking, go make 50, hundred grand in a weekend, you know, sell books, do, do a little bit of, uh, you know, retreats here and there, and then have people underneath me that are hosting retreats, you know, under kind of the, the umbrella. So it's like, I can pop in and out of these retreats that are on the farm all the time, show face, meet some of the people and then pop back out and do my own thing. Uh, and then have my kids run around the farm, you know, growing up on this farm in the, in the dirt, have our dogs run around, have my best friends in and out of the, the farm as well. Like it's the coolest, you know, it'd be the absolute coolest. And I get to train my Ironman down there. Uh, so that's, that's the dream, man. But again, just being patient with it and enjoying 
where I'm at right now in the city and being in Austin and, and just like enjoying this season of life and not wishing it to be over too soon because I know that season will come when the time is right. But that that's the game plan as of right now. And then eventually being able to disappear off the grid completely for periods of time if I want where I'm like completely off social media and just again, just like living fully on the land and just like waking up each day, going out and working on the cattle, working on the farm, working with your hands, getting dirty while also having millions of dollars in the bank and investments like that's the best, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for people who want to keep up with everything you're putting out uh, from things like bone broth all the way to the retreats and eventually documenting the build of this project, uh, if it ends up being the right path, where are you on the internet most active? Sure. I got three resources. The website's uh, jazzeltine.com. Uh, Twitter is jungle underscore underscore J, which is J-A-Y. Uh, Instagram is J-A-Y underscore Azeltine, which is A-Z as in zoo, E-L-T-I-N-E. Those are the three best places to find me. Uh, always happy to chat in the DMs. Uh, if you're interested in retreats, got tons of info on the website as well. Man, this was a pleasure, dude. I look forward to meeting you in person at some point. If you're ever in Absolutely. Austin, hit me up. I'll end up in Austin again sometime soon, I'm sure. It's just so close to Scottsdale. Yeah. I'll be in Arizona at some point for sure, too. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. That's going to wrap up this conversation with Jay Azeltine. That was a blast. Thank you so much for staying with me through the end. Tons we can talk about about that conversation. I will limit it to three takeaways, though, for the sake of everybody's time. Number one is the value of continually investing in yourself and why that's going to continue to pay dividends over time. Jay and I discussed that a lot during this conversation. Candidly, after the fact, we continue to talk through that in a lots of detail. And he just continued to talk and sing praises about the long-term return on investment from making yourself a more effective person, both business and relationships and all the various reasons you would hire a coach. Jay's clearly a case study at number one for the benefits of hiring those people in your lives. Second takeaway, bone broth and foam rolling. Two pro tips for super actionable ways to take better care of your body. Uh, with your mobility and potentially curing back acne. Of course, this is not medical advice, nor do I know anything about anything. But Jay, at least, is another case study of the value of those two practices and or things to eat. Hopefully you get those in the right order. Anyway, third and final takeaway is the value of building community and building tribe. I loved how Jay talked about the communities he's involved with, whether it's his coaching program for triathlons and the people he gets to swim with, or it's the park workouts in Zilker in Austin he puts together on Fridays. Those are just really easy ways to like have more friends and be happier in life and meet the type of people you want to surround yourself with. That's everything I have to say about this conversation with Jay. Thank you so much for listening. If you want some more from the Lewis and Kyle Show, be sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And I will be back in about one week with a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you then. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Peace.